I'm going to stand behind the pulpit tonight because my voice is going and this microphone picks up a little better than the uh, lapel mic. So we're going to give that a shot. We're going to do something we haven't done in quite a while. Uh, back a few years ago on Sunday nights, I would pick a, uh, a song out of the songbook that had some history behind it. And uh, we would kind of discuss that. Now, when I planned on doing that, I did not know I was going to sound like this. Uh, but uh, that's what we're going to do uh, this evening. If you have your songbooks or grab a songbook, and if you would, turn to 893. 893. <clears throat> you know, many of my favorite hymns have to do with heaven. When we all get to heaven, that's one of my favorites. When all of God's singers get home, beyond this land of parting, I like that song. Home of the soul, paradise valley, mansions over the hilltop, no tears in heaven. Kind of an odd one that goes back a few years, but the city four square, I don't know why, I like that song. And I'll fly away, and many, many more. In difficult times as we struggle here, I think these hymns help keep me focused and assured of God's promises of that place that is better by far. Some of our favorite passages deal with heaven. The 23rd Psalm, and I know that in a sense that gives us comfort here on earth, but I think it also points towards heaven as it says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. John 14, 1 through 4, where Jesus talks about going and preparing that place for us. And then in Revelation 21, where we have that beautiful description of heaven, both physical, the streets of gold and the gate of pearl and all of that, and the emotional and physical as well, where there'll be no more tears and crying and no more sadness and all those things. The hymn I want to look at tonight, Beautiful Isle of Somewhere, was new to me when I moved here uh, to Dangerfield. I had never heard this song before. Not one that in all my years of growing up and moving around that I had seen. But I want to read the words of this song. Not, not yet, Jansen. <laughs> I realized what I said could have confused him. Somewhere the sun is shining, somewhere the songbirds dwell. Hushed in thy sad repining, God lives and all is well. Somewhere the day is longer, somewhere the task is done. Somewhere the heart is stronger and somewhere the girder won. We'll get to that in a minute. Somewhere the load is lifted, close by an open gate. Somewhere the clouds are rifted, somewhere the angels wait. Somewhere, somewhere. Beautiful Isle of Somewhere, land of the true, where we live anew. Beautiful Isle of Somewhere. Now let me ask you, how many have never heard that song before? I figured this group, I've got some out here too as well. All right. I kind of I thought that. Uh, because, like I said, I'd never sung it till we got here. And I don't know that we have ever sung it in the 30 years I've been here in a worship service. I first learned it maybe the first or second funeral that I was asked to help sing at. 
And this was one of the songs we were singing. And I was like, I don't even know this song. Uh, And as far as I know, my best recollection is this is about the only time I've sung this song is at a funeral. But it does have very beautiful words. The hymn actually has a pretty unique place in American history. You might be shocked to know that. So I'm going to read a little about the, how this song came about to be. I know that my Redeemer liveth anywhere with Jesus, and the way of the cross leads home. We're all written by a Midwestern woman named Jessie Brown Pounds. Jessie was born in 1861 in Hiram, Ohio, outside of Cleveland. Her father was a pioneer preacher among the disciples of Christ. Her mother loved children's literature and encouraged Jessie from kindergarten to write poetry. Jessie began writing poems and articles for Christian magazines when she was 15. And for over 30 years, she wrote hymns and religious poetry for Charles H. Fillmore, which he set to music. Like Jesse, Fillmore was a member of the Disciples of Christ, and the two became a prolific gospel writing team, and they wrote over 400 hymns. In 1897, Jesse, who was 38 at the time, married the Reverend John E. Pounds, preacher for the Central Christian Church in Indianapolis. One Sunday, a few weeks after her wedding, she woke up feeling unwell. Her husband went to church without her, and in the quietness of the morning, Jessie began thinking of heaven. Taking a pen, she scribed out a poem titled, Beautiful Isle of Somewhere. It was then put to music, and it became a favorite hymn of of President William McKinley, and it was sung at his funeral after he was assassinated in Buffalo, New York. So I just thought that was kind of a interesting telling about uh, this hymn. So I wanted to go through, as we did before, and just kind of go through the verses here and look at them and how they apply to the biblical teaching that we have. I'm not preaching from the songbook, but, uh, you know, our songs do give us insights and, and do mirror what we find in Scripture. So we look at the first verse. And it does say, somewhere the sun is shining, somewhere the songbirds dwell. Hush then thy sad repining, God lives and all is well. Now while I do think that the rest of this hymn is about heaven, it appears to me that this first verse is not so much about heaven. We acknowledge, but just acknowledging the fact that even when all seems despair here, that somewhere the sun is shining. Now, I don't know if that's the way she meant it when she wrote it, but I do know this. The Bible tells us that in heaven, there will be no sun and there will be no moon because the lamb will be the light and there'll be no purpose for that. And I think that she probably knew that when she penned these words. And so that's why I think she has in this first verse the idea that, that, you know, even when the clouds are gathering around us, even when bad times are happening around us, somewhere the sun is shining. And soon, even with all the clouds and all the despair going on in our lives, soon the sun will be shining again on us. And if not here then in eternity 
when we spend it in heaven. We often go through difficult times, times of clouds and despairs, valleys of the shadow of death in Psalm 23. But I love the way she ends this particular verse. God lives and all is well. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the words, peace like a river, you know, uh, it is well with my soul. And we, we looked at the origin of that hymn as well. But God lives. That song, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. All these things that go on in our lives. And I think it's interesting that she also wrote, anywhere with Jesus, I can safely go. Doesn't matter what's happening around us. As long as God is with us and we know that he is. And as long as we have that faith, we can get through all the difficult times. How many in here do not know what happened yesterday in Hawaii? Okay. Well, let me fill you in. Yesterday, a text went out to through the emergency services on everybody's cell phone in Hawaii, like we get the Amber Alerts. And it said that a ballistic missile was heading to Hawaii. Take cover. This is not a drill. Can you imagine? I don't know those of you, obviously, if you don't know what happened, you didn't see this video. But the video of the man trying to take his children and stuff them down the storm drain. You know, because where else do you think you might be able to find shelter from a nuclear warhead? So he was trying to get his kids down the storm drain. Can you imagine that feeling? Imagine if you got that alert on your cell phone saying that a ballistic missile was headed to Morris County, to Dangerfield. You have 15 minutes. This is not a drill. What would you do? What would you be thinking? I think all of us with loved ones and, and, and children and grandchildren and parents, we would be concerned about them and we would perhaps want to touch base with them. But in reality, had that been really not a drill, there wasn't much that could be done. Not getting in a storm drain. Because even if it sheltered you from the nuclear attack, you'd have to stay there a thousand years. You know, till all the radiation cleared out. But you know what? As horrific as that sounds, as terrifying as that must have been, for Christians, it's not that big of a deal. If that were to happen to us, the worst thing that would happen to us is we'd get to go home and be with Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? And so even when things are terrible, even when things are going on around us, we have hope for better. Paul reminds us that nothing in this world can separate us from God's love and God's promises. So let's look at the second verse, Jansen. Somewhere the day is longer. Somewhere the task is done. Somewhere the heart is stronger. And somewhere the burden won. And I do think we shift 
in the second verse. No longer looking at the here and now, but looking to the ultimate positive of heaven. Somewhere the day is longer. In fact, Revelation tells us that in heaven there is no night at all. I think that's why I like that song, City Foursquare. Because it talks about where there is no night. And you know what I think about dark. And you know what I think about night. And streets of gold are cool. And gates of pearl are cool. And no tears are wonderful. And no death and no dying is great. But for me, no night. No night and no darkness. And the hymn says, somewhere the day is longer. God created the day and the night, the sun and the moon and the stars. He created those for a reason. He created them to mark time. He created the sun and the moon to govern over the day and the night so we know whether it was day and night. He created the sun and the moon to, to, and the earth to revolve around the sun and, and the, I'm, I'm going to botch this, but the moon to revolve around the earth so that there would be seasons on the earth and we could mark time by the seasons. But you see, in heaven, there's not going to be any need for marking time because one day is going to be just like the next. And one day, it's really just one long day of eternity. But in heaven, we'll have no need to tell time, not with a watch or with a calendar or with the sun. It says somewhere the task is done. Revelation 14 and 13 says, Then I heard a voice in heaven say, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. In Hebrews, the writer talks about the ultimate Sabbath rest for God's people. That the Sabbath rest that God had created for Israel was temporary. But that for God's people in the future, there was the ultimate Sabbath rest. No more labor. No more weariness. No more tiredness. Aren't you tired of being tired? Aren't you weary of being weary from time to time? There'll be none of that when we get to heaven. Somewhere it says, and then it says, somewhere the heart is stronger. First Corinthians tells us that we will be resurrected with a new immortal body. I wish I knew exactly how that was going to work. I wish I knew exactly what kind of body we were going to have. I wish Paul had explained it a little more. But I think there's a reason Paul didn't explain it a little more. Because I don't think Paul understood it any more than what he told us. But he says we're going to go from the corruptible to the incorruptible. From the mortal to the immortal. We will no longer have a body that gets sick and decays. We will no longer have a body that needs to be repaired. There will be no more illness, no more transplants, no more replacement surgeries, no more dying. Because our body will be different. Our body will be immortal. And then it says somewhere the Gurdon won. And if you looked in your songbook, you saw that there was a little asterisk and it sent you to the bottom of the page. And it says at the bottom of the page... Gurdon means reward. 
Well, I didn't trust them. So I googled garden. And garden means reward. Yeah, that's what it means. Yeah, that's... uh, Anybody ever used the word garden? You have not. <laughs> I won't tell you who raised their hand. <laughs> yeah, I thought when I saw the word garden, and I don't know why, I thought of like a, a, an embankment of some kind, you know, a building up of a military embankment or something. I don't know why I thought that. But anyway, it does mean reward. Paul, as he was coming to the end of his life, was comforted by the hope of God's reward. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And then he adds this for us. Paul says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. I'm ready to go get my reward. God has promised me a reward. And then Paul says, but not only me, but also to all those who have longed for his coming. Don't we long for God's coming? Don't we long for that time when we will be with him in heaven? And Paul has already reminded us that all of what happens here is trivial compared to the glory that awaits us in heaven. So we move to the third verse. Somewhere the load is lifted, somewhere close by the open gate, somewhere the clouds are rifted, somewhere the angels wait. The parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son remind us of the joy in heaven when one lost soul is saved. Can you imagine the rejoicing on the day when we all rise to meet him in the air and follow him to heaven? Have you ever thought, does it do do your heart good to know that you can bring joy to God? That you can bring joy to heaven? Those parables tell us that when one was saved, there was rejoicing. In heaven. This verse tells us that the angels wait. I don't know exactly if that's true. I know there's angels in heaven, and I know that they'll be there. And I do believe that they wait for that day as well. And so then we have the chorus that says, Somewhere, somewhere, beautiful isle of somewhere, land of the true, where we live anew. Beautiful Isle of Somewhere. Land of the true, it says. I've said this a number of times. We misuse the term the real world, I think. I I can't tell you how many times we would go to camp. And we would have camp and the kids would be all excited and be all, and somebody would say, well, you know, don't lose that fervor when you got to go out into the real world. 
We enjoy our time of worship and fellowship here together as Christians on Sunday and the time that we spend together. And then we might encourage one another. Now, don't lose that. Keep your faith tomorrow when you go to work or you have to go back to the real world. But what the Bible clearly tells us is that this is not the real world. Peter tells us that there's going to come a time when in an instant, this world's going to be gone. This world is just a temporary place. This world was created by God and it will be destroyed by God. But God lives in an eternal place. And that is the real world. This is a touch of it. We get a touch of it here as we meet together in the church family. But that's not even going to compare. And one of of the things we need to think about differently in our lives is that this is not the real world. That's the real world. And so we long for that place. The real world is there and all this will pass away. We look forward to that real world. I don't know why, but the first time I heard that song, I just fell in love with it. It's wonderful to think about that place that we call home and that place we long for. If you're here this evening, you don't have the promise of that home. We invite you to come. And if there's some other way we can help or encourage you, would you come as we stand and sing?